Thanks for listening to the Faith Assembly Podcast. If you're in the Orlando area, we hope you're able to join us for one of our services. Please check out faithassembly.org for more information or follow us on social media at faithORL. We hope this message will be an inspiration to help you find all that God has for your life. Enjoy the message. Well, God bless you. Uh, this, is, uh, this is chapter 2 of James. And I'm only going to get about halfway through this uh, tonight, and then Pastor Carl will be here next, uh, next Wednesday to uh, share the other half of chapter 2. But I tell you, when I looked at these verses, I said, man, this is a tough one, because it's, not, it's a subject we don't get to hear about very often. So we're going to get right into it here. James 2.1 says this, My brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. Now, that's a word, partiality. That's what that means is unfair bias in favor of one thing or person compared with another, favoritism. Uh, now, it's all right to have favorite things. I think we, we all have our favorite soft drink or a restaurant or car type or whatever. I think it's all right to favor one thing over another, but we should, we should never favor one person over another. Good place to say Amen. Partiality is favoritism, and we can be partial to things, but never uh, with people. Favoritism, what it does is brings division. That's what it does, and the world is filled with division, with it's fractured. It's not just uh, Republican versus Democrat or liberal versus uh, conservative. Now it's the 1% against the 99%. It's rural versus uh, urban. It's, there's divisions in, in sex and race and faith and ethnicity. It could go on and on and on. It's, it's become dark. So much division in the world, yet Jesus looks at you and me and says, you are the light of the world. You've got the answer to what uh, is ailing the world and its division. Now, where favoritism is allowed unfavoritism is created. I don't know if unfavoritism is a real word, but I just threw it out there. <laughs> favoritism is allowed, unfavoritism is allowed. What I'm saying is created. What's, what I'm saying is that I know we say sometimes, oh, I just, that's my favorite pastor, or this is my favorite pastor. I know what you mean by that. Well, we, need, what, we know what you mean by that. You have a closeness to, to one pastor or one person more than another, but uh, when that becomes, uh, when we say favorite like favorite, and we mean that, we're, there's people that are unfavored. <laughs> but I wanted to talk a little bit about the effects of favoritism in society, in our families, in the church world. And Jacob and Esau is a really good example of favoritism and the damage that it causes. And we find these uh, verses here in Genesis 25. The word says, So the boys grew, and Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, but Jacob was a mild man dwelling in tents. And Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. So here we have parents that are favoring one child over the other. Now look. I've got twins. They're, they had twins. That's hard, <laughs> period. So I can understand if there's a little bit of stress going on in their family. 
but to favor a child uh, in a way that, that it causes that kind of division and that kind of animosity towards siblings, it's, it's bad. Not only did, did it create division in this, these brothers, but it, it divided this, this husband and wife a little bit. Are we not supposed to be on the same page? You can talk to me. It's all right. <laughs> We're supposed to be on the same page and love equally. It divided these parents. It divided the children. Favoritism in this family, in this family's case, it led to manipulation. It led to deception. It led to theft. Favoritism causes a lot of issues within the family unit. Favoritism can cause a child to have anger issues, behavioral problems, increased levels of depression, lack of confidence in themselves or a refusal to interact well with others. And it can happen in the favored child and in the unfavored child as well. Maybe some of us in this room were the unfavored child. (laughs) Uh, This may be striking a chord with you today, and you know what? I believe that the Lord had me say some of these specific things because he wants to bring healing in God's house to all. Amen? These issues appear in children who've been favored by a parent and by those that, that have been unfavored as well. There's this testimony I read about uh, this man. His name was C.B., and he was uh, raised in a, in a home with both parents, and, but he had a younger sibling. They were about two years apart, and they were both boys. So you know what happens in a house with boys? They're, they fight. It's like love languages, fighting and wrestling. Um, so they would, they would get into fights and get into trouble, and then uh, the mom would go and tell the dad, the boys, boys acted up today, and then the younger sibling would always run to mom and say, I don't want to get in trouble, I'm sorry, and then the mom would go to dad and say, just, just don't, don't discipline the little one, okay? So the older one, CB, would always get the punishment. Year after year after year after year, the little one would run to mama, mama would run to, to, to the husband, and then the younger one was spared year after year after year. It got so bad that the, that the older sibling, CB, he was like, I'm, I was about to just end it all and take my life because I just couldn't deal with, with, with this favoritism anymore. They finally sat down together as a family and and went and got counseling and, and worked through those issues. But he says that as he grew up and grew older, he became a successful man. He went and served in the Air Force for like four years and went on to be an entrepreneur and a teacher and be- got into real estate, became successful. But in his testimony, he goes, I still, it still hurts. My childhood, thoughts of my childhood still hurts, even today, even with all the success I've seen, I'm still injured. The respect of persons in the New Testament, uh, it's a phrase that's, that's, it calls for undue or mentions undue or unfair partiality, paying special attention to someone because uh, they are rich or influential or powerful or popular. And it's a fault that the New Testament consistently was condemning because favoritism should not exist in our family and in our church family. Amen. Praise God. Mm -hmm. Peter learned 
that with God there is no respecter of persons. He learned that in a vision that he had. As God was preparing his heart to go and minister to Gentiles, Cornelius' family, and as he's having this vision, God brings down this sheet with all kinds of animals, and he's like, eat. And he goes, wait, I can't eat some of those animals because they're unclean. And God says, don't call unclean what I've called clean. That was God's way of saying, I'm about to change some views in your mind. Stay open. Do what I say. Thank God that God has no respecter of persons. <laughs> I'm so glad that he doesn't love you more than he loves me, and he doesn't love me more than he loves you. He's, he's a good father that loves everyone. Our heavenly father, he loves completely and uniquely. He loves corporately and individually. Look at Acts 10, 34. It says, then Peter opened his mouth and said, in, after this vision, it says, in truth I perceive that God shows no partiality. And it's one of God's greatest characteristics, his fairness, his justice, and his complete impartiality. And are we not here to become more Christ-like? We're supposed to be like Jesus. Acts 10, 35, and I'm gonna read out of the, the Passion Translation. I don't know if you've ever read that translation before, but it's just beautiful the way it, uh, it expresses uh, just the word. Listen to this, it says, it makes no difference what race of people one belongs to. If they show deep reverence for God and are committed to doing what's right, they are acceptable before him. Amen? So this is what's going on in, in James. Uh, James, he was the presiding apostle. He was the pastor, so to speak, of the, of the Jerusalem church. And that, that church was really the first generation of believers that he was addressing. And he's talking about this partiality. He's talking about this favoritism. So not only is he talking to them, but obviously he's talking to all the generations to come, which includes us tonight. James 2, 2 through 4 says this, For if there should come into your assembly a man with gold rings in fine apparel, and there should also come in a poor man in filthy clothes, and you pay attention to the one wearing the fine clothes and say to him, You sit here in a good place. And then you say to the poor man, You stand there or sit here on my footstool. Have you not shown partiality among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? What was going on here was that the gospel, it offered so much to the poor and demanded so much from the rich that really it was the poor that was being swept into the kingdom of God, into the church at first. Common people heard Jesus gladly. And as time went on, that Jesus' influence in them started to show outwardly. It started getting other people's attention. So... That's how it's supposed to be. When we come to Christ, there should be a marked difference between what we used to do and say and what we do and say after Jesus. If it kind of looks the same, I, we need to talk. <laughs> because it shouldn't look the same. You shouldn't look the same. So what was happening is that commoners, poor people, people that work, they were employees, they were called slaves back then, 
slaves and masters. We don't like that term, but the truth is that's what it was. But it was employees and employers, modern terms. But this was going on. A, a slave would get saved, give his life to Christ. God started working in his life, and he would go back and then serve different. He had a better attitude when he was serving his master. He maybe did it with a smile. Maybe he even went the extra mile with his, with his master. And his master started saying, he or she, they're acting different. They really should not be so smiley and happy. I see joy in them. That's why they're here, because they were indebted to me, and now I'm their master, and they're actually doing this with a good attitude. What's going on with them? And then these guys started showing up at church. So here, in the early church, it had to be a little awkward because here's a commoner, an employee, a, a servant, a slave, sitting in service, and here comes his master walking in the door. What would you do if your boss came in and sat right next to you in church. Some of you would be like, yay, I've been praying for you for 25 years to get saved, you rascal. Uh, or, you know, but some of you would be like, what are you doing in here? So that's the awkwardness that was going on here. So I, I just imagine that in the, early, in the early days of the church, it was mostly just poor and the humble. So if a rich man, someone with some influence or affluence walked in there was the tendency to make a big fuss about him. Be like, oh, look, look at this guy. He's dressed all nice. Oh, wow, how are you? How are you doing? Well, here and, and sit right here in the front. And, 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 and they would get a little bit more extra attention because it wasn't just a regular person. So here James is saying that should not be happening. Listen, we've had some people, some famous people come and sit in our service. And we've treated them as we've treated everybody else. Right? I mean, if you, you could go around the whole parking lot and look at the parking spaces, there is nowhere where it says VIP parking. Nowhere. There's no pastor's parking right next to the door. There's none of that. Actually, on Sundays, the pastoral staff and the staff here, they park the farthest away from the building as possible. Because we want to leave spaces open for our guests and people that, are, that need to take, have a short walk <laughs> to the building. It's, it's, it's wild, though, that, that today that, that label of, of Christian, just people just take that, that name up and slap it on themselves as a label. And there's no change. I, I, you know, I hear of celebrities that, that, that become Christians, and then they still act exactly the same way. <laughs> They're still singing the same old songs. Things haven't changed much at all. I'm like, so there's a difference between being a Christian and a follower of Christ. So James' concern here was that this bad attitude of favoritism was going to creep into the church. So in this picture, he, he, he talks about if a rich man comes in and you favor him and give him a good position and then someone with filthy clothes comes in and you say, here, just sit over there because you're stinky and you're dirty and, you know, we don't want you too seen. That would have been a problem and he was addressing it. And, you know, I kind of had a little bit of an experience 
with the same situation. I didn't think about it till just right before service. I was raised in a denomination many years ago. They, I went to the school, and we would go over and have mass every single week. I was just a kid, 8, 9, 10. It was like elementary school or whatever. And, and I, we moved to Florida, and then I went, we went back to visit, and I asked if I could go see my friends in the old school. And they allowed me to do that. So I went, and I sat in class with them and just kind of like hung out and say hi. So after that, it was time to go to Mass. So I was excited. I was happy. I'm, I mean, listen, a 12-year-old kid wanted to go to Mass. That's like a miracle. So, uh, so here I go. I'm like, all right, let's go. So we're going, and as we're walking into the church, everybody walked into the, into the cathedral, and they turned around and stopped me. And then they said, you can't come in like that. I'm like, I had pants on. I just had a tank top on. Okay. So, but they stopped me and said, you can't come in dressed like that. I was like, why? I thought this was God's house. And they're like, yeah, you can't come in dressed like that. So I got rejected right at the door and I walked away. And you know what that did? For years, I was like, I don't want to go to church anymore. Why? They rejected me and I'm like, I thought God's house, God's kids, I thought we can go into dad's house. But that kind of rejection was what James was saying, this better not happen <laughs> in the church. The church has to be a place where all distinctions are removed. All distinctions. Yeah. Favoritism brings division. Jesus prayed for unity. And I love this verse in John 17. He says, I do not pray for these alone but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you have sent me. When we are walking in unity and we are one, and there's no favoritism, there's no partiality, it is a testimony to the world, and it's easier for them to say, hmm, there has to be a God. There has to be something about these, this group of people because they're all different. They all got different personalities, and they get along. It's a testimony to the world. And Jesus said, they'll believe that you sent me if they're one. James 2, 5 through 7 says this. Listen, my beloved brethren, has not God... Has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he promised to those who love him? Let's talk for a second about the effects of favoritism within the church family. In a church this size, I know it's impossible for us to be close to everybody. It's, it's impossible. You knowing their story, they knowing your story, you walking life with them every single day, it's hard. We walk through this life with a handful of relationships. And we can't be close to everyone, but we are in covenant with everyone as brothers and sisters in Christ. The word says in 1 Corinthians 12, it says, For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free. 
and have all been made to drink into one spirit. For in fact, the body is not one member, but many. So we're one, and we all need each other, and God needs us to function together, even with our differences and our different personalities. We can be close to some, to, closer to some people than others, of course, but not at the expense of ignoring those around us that need us to help them. Do you remember a time where you first walked into the church and somebody just took an interest in you and said, hey, what's your name? What's your story? This is my story. This is my name. How can I pray with you? That made a difference in your life. Can I get a witness? The same thing is going on on a regular basis. There's people in this church on Sundays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, Saturdays, you name it, that come into this church that need someone just to say, Hi, I see that you're, you're new. I've never met you before. What's your name? How can I pray with you? There's a reason why we have connect groups because we know that it's hard for everybody to just know one another. So we try to do connect groups where a smaller group of people can, can meet. Not only do we do that for everyone, but we want that to be a tool so that for, for you, so that you can invite someone to like a special interest group and play dominoes or go bowling or do all the myriad of different connect activities in the groups here for fellowship to connect those that, that maybe won't even come into the doors of the church, but they'll slide in that way into a connect group and then Come to service. And they'd be like, this is wonderful. Connect groups. But listen to what happened with Paul and Barnabas. They were like a dynamic duo in ministry, okay? And they came to a point that there was a bit of a problem. Their ministry actually split because of a little bit of favoritism and a little bit of misunderstanding and, and too strong personalities, Mark was Barnabas's cousin, and they went on their first missionary trip together, propagating the gospel. They went all over, and halfway through uh, the trip, Mark, I don't know if he got sick, or he got homesick, or he got scared, or he saw too much. <laughs> no one can really pinpoint what exactly happened, but he did not finish that trip with, with these guys. Well, that rubbed Paul very, very wrong. Paul and Barnabas, they were two different personalities. Paul was zealous and fiery. He was zealous before he came to Christ. He was zealous for, for God and trying to stop anything that would, that, that would be against God. He, he, just, he, he, he was just misguided, and then Jesus shows up and changes his life, and now that zeal is poured into telling people about Jesus and telling people about what he did for everybody. So he was zealous. He was fiery. Barnabas, quite the opposite. <laughs> he was merciful. His name, son of encouragement. He was an encourager. These two guys together, they needed each other. If you're ever thinking <laughs> why you got matched up <laughs> with somebody that's really different than you in your marriage, it's because God intended it that way. You need each other. There's got to be balance. 
If it's all fiery, you're going to burn everybody up. If it's all mercy, you're going to get it walked over. So you have to have that balance where you help each other. Amen. That wasn't in my notes, so I don't know. You guys, there's a marriage theme going on. We may be, so in this situation, the word says that they came to a strong disagreement because here they were going to go out again on their second missionary trip, Barnabas and, and Paul. And Barnabas, being the encourager, being merciful, he says, let's give, let's give Mark another chance. Let's give him another chance. And Paul's like, nope. It wasn't one of those conversations that it's like, hey, Paul, uh, let's, let's think about, let's reconsider Mark and let's give him a chance to go with us. And Paul's like, you know what? I'm just going to pass, okay? It's all right. It wasn't one of those. It was like, nope, I'm not doing it. So it came to the point that they, they had words and it split them up. We may be tempted to push someone aside that we feel dropped the ball on us, that cut out early on us, that wasn't there when we needed them the most. We may have that tendency to be like, you know what, I can love you, but I don't have to like you. Imagine if Jesus did that to us. I love you, but I don't have to like you. It's almost blasphemous. (laughs) We're called to reconciliation. We're called to reconciliation. (laughs) Paul reconciled his fractured relationships. And in 1 Corinthians 9, 6, Paul commended Barnabas' ministry. And then in Colossians 4, 10, and in Philippians 23, Paul is in prison, and he's awaiting his execution. You know when you're on your deathbed, you ask for something, and it's like the most important things to you. And he asked for about five things. He asked for Luke to come and visit him. He asked for Mark. Because Mark, the word tells us that he called Mark because Mark was of great encouragement to him and useful to him in ministry. It says it in 2 Timothy 4.11. I think the guy's got it. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me in ministry. Here this man, Paul, is in prison awaiting his execution day, and he just asked for Luke, Mark, a cloak, some books, and parchments that he wanted. That was it. Naked he came into the world, naked he was going out. It was Paul's conviction. He changed even after that maybe not so great attitude when Barnabas brought up Mark. Romans 2.11 says this, and Paul's a writer. He says, for there is no partiality with God. And in Ephesians 6.9, he says, and you, masters, do the same things to them, giving up threatening, knowing that your own master also is in heaven, and there is no partiality with him. And then Proverbs 22.2 says, the rich and the poor have this in common. The Lord is the maker of them all. You know, it's not that Christ and the church didn't want the rich in the church or the great or the wise or the mighty. It's not that. It was just at that time in history, the rich oppressed the poor. 
like it was legal for a creditor to be walking in the street, and if he saw somebody that owed him money, just pick him up right there by the collar and take him to the court. Right then and there. So James is saying, is it not the rich that oppress you? So this was, this was legal back then. And it's not riches that James is condemning. It's the conduct of having riches with no sympathy. James 2.7 says this, Do they not blaspheme that noble name which, by which you are called? At that time, the rich, the, 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 the powerful, they would make fun of Christians. We, were, we, we talked to people and we're like, oh yes, I'm a Christian. Like if it's this cute little thing. But back then, it was almost like an insult, these Christians. It was, they were first called that at Antioch. The name Jesus, uh, James mentions maybe Christian, which unbelievers first called followers of Christ at Antioch. And like I said earlier, you know, are, are we here because we want to be a Christian or are we here because we want to follow Christ and do things his way and act his way and talk his way? He set a life for us. It's not just this label. James 2, 8 and 9 says this, if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you do well. But if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. Jesus is calling here, He's, he calls the great command to love our neighbors as ourselves. It, he calls it the royal law. Why do you think he calls it the royal law? Because it's, it's a royal law and we're a royal priesthood and it fits for a royal priesthood to be acting royally and to love one another without partiality. No matter what people look like, or how many tattoos they've got. <laughs> we've all got a story that we've come from. Thank God we don't all look di that we don't all look the same. That'd be boring. We are a royal priesthood. We belong to God. James 2:13, and I'm starting to wrap this up here. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. We've all heard it say, love covers a multitude of sin. It covers a multitude of sin. It covers hurts love, just compassion. I want to tell you this little story. It has something to do with the message, I promise. But you've all, you may have heard it. It made, the story made news. It was about this little dog that was found like totally abandoned. I think the guys have a picture of it. Poor thing. They found this little dog like, like hogtied with like duct tape, duct tape around its mouth, malnourished, dehydrated, thrown in the back of a dumpster. They were actually looking for the people to press charges that did this. This dog was so weak, couldn't eat, couldn't even stand up by itself. I mean, that's not like the most pathetic little thing, right? They found her, and there was a the hospital, uh, dog animal hospital here in town that took her in and started caring for her, not really thinking that she was going to make it, but started taking care of her and giving her fluids, and just slowly, it was such a long process, and then as, when she started getting a little bit better, 
they put her up for adoption, and then with this massive screening <laughs> process for who, the potential parents uh, of, uh, uh, of this little dog. But they took care of her. They nursed her back to life. They found a good home for her. I'm going to show you what she looks like now. Look at that. Right? There's one more picture in there. Look at that. Now, what I didn't say was in the midst of all the trauma that she had, all the, she was blind, she was deaf. I mean, just, what does that have to do with us? <laughs> Jesus said, when he was talking to us about don't worry about tomorrow, he said, look at the birds of the air. They don't sow, they don't reap, but your father takes care of them. How much more will he take care of you? You know, there's people that walk into this church um, on a regular basis that on the inside, and Pastor alluded to it on, on, on Sunday, that they look great on the outside, but on the inside they are malnourished, they're dehydrated, they need water, they need food. They're, they're blind, they're deaf, they're hurting. And the answer to, to what they need is not only Jesus, but is in your seat. In your seat. <laughs> Pastor John, you can come back up, man. And we believers, we're self-governed, self-directed by the love that resides within, within our hearts. We follow the right way to love God and to love men because the love of Christ compels us to that. And we've got to remember only he who shows mercy will find mercy. Psalm 18, 25 says this, with the merciful you will show yourself merciful. With a blameless man you will show yourself blameless. And then Matthew 5, 7, this, the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Just a couple of more takeaways for tonight I think we can see in here that our past mistakes don't have to define our future there's not one single person in here that is perfect we've all made mistakes our mistakes we may have made mistakes right before showing up to church today but those past mistakes doesn't mean that it's defining our future if you mess up in ministry or in life don't ever feel like you can't get back in the game. Don't ever think that you can't get back in there and, and just be reconciled and be a source of reconciliation and make a difference. And these last two things, it's never too late to reconnect with someone you've let down. It's never too late. You know, unless they're in, they've passed on or in heaven and there's something you could do about that. You can ask God to forgive you where you let that person down. And then you'll see him in heaven. And it's never too late to forgive someone who let you down. It's never too late to forgive someone who let you down. In a church this size, it's impossible not to offend one another every now and then. We all get hungry. I mean hangry. We, we all get tired. We all feel stressed sometimes. And out of those moments, out of those emotions, we can snap at somebody and just not have the greatest attitude. But our call tonight 
is to walk in unity, in love, because then we'll be the most effective to the people that need us the most. Amen. I hope you enjoyed listening to the Faith Assembly podcast. Thank you for joining us in pursuit of growing closer to Christ. Stay tuned for more messages released every week. God bless.